This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's up, DMV? How's everybody doing today? 106.7 The Fan is on your AM FM dial. It's on the Odyssey app, and it's on our stream at thefandc.com. However, you've got us tuned in today. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us for just a little bit, sharing your Sunday. I'm Danny Noakes, our guy Denton Day here producing the show. It's been just under 48 hours since Denton and myself had the pleasure of talking to you all. And we're happy to be back here as we get ready to wrap up the weekend. We're with you up until about 3.40 p.m. this afternoon. We're leading right into Washington Nationals baseball coverage, just as was the case when we were with you on Friday night. So, Charlie Slows, Dave Jagler. They've got Nats on deck starting at 3.40 and, of course, 30 minutes of pregame before first pitch at 410. Nats at the Arizona Diamondbacks. We got a great show planned for you today. More baseball, more trade deadline discussion. That's just going to be the case here as we approach that August 2nd trade deadline in Major League Baseball. Juan Soto still a Washington National for now. Not a whole lot of movement in the first two days since the Nationals have started playing baseball again after the conclusion of the All-Star break. But, We've got one guest coming up at the bottom of this hour, 1.30, RJ Anderson, CBSSports.com's MLB coverage, and we're going to go over some of the some of the smoke that we're seeing to kind of pop up around Juan Soto. The Yankees are a potential suitor for Juan Soto, but how likely is that, right? I'm on the record saying I don't think a trade is going to be made before this year's August 2nd deadline, and that will likely pave the way for the new ownership group to come in if the learners are able to sell the team this year. And then the new ownership group will have the task of actually trying to retain Juan Soto. But before we get into any of that, there actually was a baseball game played yesterday by the Washington Nationals out there in Arizona. And if you guys want to jump in on the conversation today, please do. We had some great calls on Friday night. You can hit us up on the MGM National Harbor listener line. That's 800-636-1067. You can also hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Noakes. You could tweet the station as well, at 1067thefan. So the Nats dropped their second straight game to the Diamondbacks in Arizona last night. 7-2 to the final score. And without going into too much detail about what the box score looks like, right? Andy Ball Sanchez gets the loss. He's 0-2 now on the year. Only five innings of work from him, six hits, three runs, all of them earned on 93 pitches. Madison Bumgarner, though, did get the win. Moves his record to 6-9 and nine on the year. Eight innings of work for him, four hits, two runs, both earned. He had nine strikeouts on 98 pitches. And Mad Bum is obviously at time, was one of the better pitchers in Major League Baseball. That's not quite the case anymore. The Diamondbacks are in probably the toughest division in baseball, the National League West, and they are not equipped to compete in that division. They're not terrible, but uh, they're certainly not as bad as the Washington Nationals, but they're also not anywhere close to as good as the Dodgers, the Padres, or or even a team like the uh, San Francisco Giants. So the, the story from yesterday's game was it had nothing to do with Juan Soto. It had nothing to do with the actual score to the game. No, it was actually towards the end of the game. And this was kind of a similar situation that we saw play out a couple of weeks ago with Juan Soto within one of these games. Victor Robles irked Diamondbacks pitcher Madison Bumgarner after he stared at a home run in the eighth inning. So the home run made it seven to two. Diamondbacks comfortable lead right there, right? And 
it was Robles basically backpedaling for a bit after he hit. He delayed his trot down the first baseline. You guys know what pimping a home run looks like. But it made it a 7-2 game, and it was in the eighth inning. So the game was mostly out of reach. Not entirely, but it was mostly out of reach. And so, naturally, as you would expect, because we've seen Madison Baumgartner take offense to this kind of behavior before, it's exactly what happened this time as well. And so when asked about it in the clubhouse after the game, Madison Bumgarner said, quote, he's a clown. Golly. No shame. No shame. Like, it's 7-1. to one. You hit your third homer of the year, and you act like Barry Bonds breaking the record. Clean it up. I don't care about giving up the run. Hell, we won 7-2, to 8-2, to two, whatever it was. It's frustrating. I'm the old grumpy guy. I know. But that type of stuff, that didn't used to happen. That's ridiculous. End quote. So that's what Madison Baumgartner had to say about Victor Robles after Robles stared a bit at his home run in the eighth inning to make it a 7-2 game last night. Now here's how the 25-year-old center fielder responded. Victor Robles said, quote, When he's pitching well, he's able to celebrate and do what he likes to do. It seems like he calls everybody a clown that actually has a big hit or a home run against him. If he doesn't want anyone hitting a home run against him or having any issues with that, then just strike people out or make better pitches to where he doesn't have to worry about that, end quote. So both guys naturally think they're in the right here. That happens a lot of the time with these unwritten rules of baseball, and this is actually a very common scenario with a guy maybe taking a little bit too long of a look at a home run, or any type of hit for that matter, maybe taking a little bit too long to round the bases, right? We all know about the unwritten rules of baseball. Because here's the thing. There's something to what both guys are saying here. First off... Mad Bum is in the right that Robles isn't having a good season. He's about to get traded, right? Victor Robles is a part of several trade discussions, and it's not because of what he's done at the plate. People like the fact that he could be a potential gold glove center fielder. His defense is very good. And even that has dropped off since the Nationals won the World Series in 2019. But the other part of this is Madison Bumgarner dominated the Nationals yesterday all game long. You couldn't push him out of the game. You couldn't chase him before eight innings of work were already complete. That That's domination right there, and nine strikeouts to go along with it. So if you hit a home run in that situation, you take your trot and you get back to the dugout. Don't hot dog when you're getting your butt kicked and when you have the worst record in baseball because that's just dumb. But see, don't pitchers know that they always look bad when you complain about a guy pimping a home run? I mean, even when you're onto something, and I think Mad Bum is here, right? I'm admitting that, that Robles didn't need to do that when they're having such a terrible season and Robles is having such a subpar season himself. But if you're Madison Bumgarner, if you say something, you got to know that you're going to look like a crotchety old man, a grump, someone that is not willing to look to the future, not acknowledging that this is the way that the game is going. Right? He mentioned it in his quote. This didn't used to happen. That's right. But it does now. There's a little bit of a showtime element to Major League Baseball now that there didn't used to be 10 years ago. And you know what? There's a reason for that. It's because you guys are hemorrhaging fans. We talked about how Major League Baseball is not even in the same stratosphere with the NBA and the National Football League in the United States. And of course, therefore, for the rest of the world, it wouldn't be either. Not to say that it's not obviously something that many of us very much love, but you know the injection of youth and excitement into the game isn't going to hold it back, right? And so that's where I think Madison Bumgarner kind of, he just didn't need to say anything, right? I don't blame him for saying something, but when you're the pitcher and you come out and you do this and you kind of cry after giving up a home run, even if you dominated the team for the entire game, it's just not the best look, all right? So I see where both guys are coming from. Now... This is different than the Juan Soto situation with Will Smith of the Braves from a couple of weeks ago. If you all remember, and (laughs) this was actually relatively significant news in in Major League Baseball when this happened. I remember seeing it on SportsCenter and across a couple of different highlight reels on Twitter and timelines and whatnot. But the Braves were up 8-2 in the ninth inning. So this was even later in the game. That's where at their last at-bat there were two outs. Okay, Soto was coming to the plate with the bases loaded. 
the pitching coach comes out for the Braves, and he talks to Will Smith. The at-bat happens. Will Smith is basically trying to find as close to the strike zone without hitting the strike zone as possible. I mean, he was very clearly pitching around the strike zone because he didn't want Soto to give up a bomb. Soto hits a grand slam. Although it's the bottom of the ninth, you're down to your last out. It's still, in that scenario, would have been a two-run game. You still don't want to even give a team a chance. Baseball can... Things can just turn around so quickly. But so throughout the at-bat, Soto's kind of staring him down. He can't believe that Will Smith isn't just going to pitch to him because it's an 8-2 game. Bases are loaded, sure, but it's 8-2. to two. It's not exactly close. And you don't generally just walk a guy with the bases loaded. I, I think somebody did that to Trout earlier this year, but it's something that almost never happens. You don't just concede a run. Because again, baseball is is a sport where there's so much that can happen, just depending on the way that the ball comes off the bat. So, Will Smith ends up walking Soto. He walks Soto, and a run comes in to score for the Nats, right? Makes it 8-3. to Still nothing, not a very close game, five runs. But when Soto was running down to first, he was staring at Smith. And so Will Smith shouted back to him something to the tune of, quote, They made me do that to you, with an expletive, by the way. (laughs) And again, that's noting the pitching coach who had just come out to the mound before Soto's at bat obviously told him, we can't allow Soto to, to hit a grand slam here. Pitch around him. Don't give up anything stupid. But see, here's the thing. That beef actually goes back to 2020. The Juan Soto, Will Smith beef actually goes all the way back to 2020 when Will Smith was actually warming up and Soto was kind of off to the side behind the plate, warming up, not directly behind the plate, but a little bit behind the plate. Will Smith could see him in his peripheral as he was warming up. So Juan wasn't in the on-deck circle. And then Will Smith took exception to that. He told him to move. He was yelling at him. So this was the COVID year, right? Empty stadium. We could very clearly hear what was going on. And so when Soto came to the plate, He took the first pitch that he saw, gone, center field, out of here, a home run. And he stared Smith down after that, by the way. So that was where it all started. But then last year, in September of 2021, the Braves were up 8-5 to with one out. Late in the game, Soto comes to the plate, and the second pitch he sees, Will Smith drills him in the upper part of the back. It actually was really more so the the upper part of his ribs. Soto was in pain after he got hit that time, too. You could definitely see it. He didn't stare back at Smith after he got hit. He was definitely just in pain. And so after that September game where Soto got beaned, the next night, it's Nats and Braves again. Soto hit another bomb. It wasn't off of Will Smith. But when Soto was done rounding the bases... Soto actually blew a kiss out towards the bullpen. And at the time, Soto said that it was intended for some fans that had kind of been heckling him in the outfield all game. But I think it was pretty clear that that was actually intended for Will Smith. And so, a couple of weeks ago, that's why you saw Juan Soto make the crybaby gesture over to Will Smith after Smith walked Soto with the bases loaded, allowed a run, made it an 8-3 to game, and then Will Smith got pulled. I don't blame Soto in that situation. Not at all. And that's why I, I mentioned how different the two situations are between what happened last night between Victor Robles, Madison Bumgarner, and what's really been brewing for the last two years between Will Smith and Juan Soto. Both instances, the pitcher complaining, it doesn't look good, but in one case, I think he has a much stronger argument than the other. So that's the most interesting thing that happened in the Nationals game last night. (laughs) It might just be the most interesting thing that that happens to this team the rest of the season. That, of course, being if if Juan uh, Juan Soto does not get traded. But we have to just keep an eye on everything that might happen there. These beefs in baseball, though, I don't necessarily think they're the worst thing, right? I, I talked about how you come off as a crotchety old man, someone that's not willing to embrace the new age, the new era of baseball, if you complain about this sort of stuff. But you know what? The beef gives the game a little bit of extra juice. I'm not a fan of throwing at a guy. I've always said you're a coward for throwing at a guy, 
right? If you're embarrassed by someone pimping a home run, then go strike them out the next time. Don't throw at their head or don't throw at their back. That's cowardly. They can't throw it back at you. Don't throw at them. And that, that's where I give Madison... Well, I, ha, I can't give Madison Bumgarner credit yet because we haven't seen him face Victor Robles again. He may come in with the high cheese next time or, or fire a fastball at his ribs like Will Smith did to Juan Soto. But that's never the answer. That's just cowardly. So we'll see how those sagas end up shaking out. Nats at Diamondbacks, 410 first pitch, 340 Nats on deck, Charlie and Dave with the call. Coming up next... UFC Fight Night took place in London. Actually, yesterday afternoon did that event take place, but it was actually a great event, lots of excitement, and it just had an absolutely heartbreaking ending. But it was a lot of fun to watch. We'll break it down coming up next. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Coming up about 10 minutes from now, we're going to be joined by RJ Anderson of CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. And with RJ... The topic of conversation is obvious. Juan Soto, will he be traded? And to where? What could be the return haul for somebody like Soto? And who might some of the suitors that are putting in asking prices to the learners and Mike Rizzo and the Washington Nationals? What are those? RJ Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage, going to join us about 10 minutes from now. we got lots of questions for him. Other trade deadline questions for RJ, not to mention we're going to get the latest on Elijah Green, the Nationals' first-round pick from earlier this week. We're going to talk about Green to get RJ's thoughts on that as well. I mentioned that we would talk a little UFC this segment, and UFC fight night taking place yesterday afternoon in London. Obviously, the time change making things a little bit funky there, but the O2 Arena, the venue for yesterday's bouts, and... It's always a little weird to watch a UFC event during the daytime, usually just trying to stay awake until the main event when these things don't get started until 10 p.m. and and generally after 10 p.m. if the prelims go a little bit longer. But I actually went home last weekend. Home for me is Northern Virginia. Actually, my brother lives in Arlington, just across the bridge, right across uh, from D.C. And there was a UFC event during the daytime last weekend as well. So... There were a couple of good fights on here, and the the headliners, before we get to, to Meatball Molly and Patty the Batty, because they, they had very impressive performances, each in their own right. It actually started off with a fascinating matchup between Paul Craig and Vulcan Uzdemir. I, t- I was texting my brothers, and my brothers are, are big UFC guys. I, I will absolutely go on the record and say that they both know a lot more than me about the sport than I do. So whenever you have one of these events, we like to responsibly gamble a little bit. And we like to put a parlay together, usually a four-fight parlay, have something to root for, somewhere between two and five bucks. Nothing crazy, right? Maybe a little bit extra if you've been on a hot streak. But so my immediate hunch here was to lean Ustamir. And not for any particular reason other than just like the way that the guy's been able to strike in the past. And you know, Paul Craig is really known for for his grappling, and it was a very odd fight, very frustrating fight. Paul Craig trying to pull guard for a lot of it, and he he ended up getting outstruck 
I guess is the best way to put it. And and he really wasn't able to successfully take Ustamir down at all. And and Ustamir just kind of landed en- enough significant strikes to to end up with the win. So that was a unanimous decision win for Ustamir. Meatball Molly against Hannah Goldie was the next fight. And I give Hannah Goldie credit because Meatball Molly is is along with Patty the Batty. Obviously, uh, very good friends. They train together. But <laughs> I give Goldie credit for going up against the buzzsaw that is Meatball Molly right now. Because Goldie, for, for at least the first couple of minutes of this fight, was definitely trying to keep Meatball Molly off balance, keep her pressed up against the cage, not allow there to be distance between them where, where Molly could just go off and, and do what she does, which is just swarm opponents with an absolute furious flurry of punches. And after about three minutes and 52 seconds, that's exactly what Meatball Molly gave Goldie. It was a flurry, but it was another spinning back elbow. Second fight in a row for Meatball Molly, a spinning back elbow that sent Goldie to the canvas and ultimately she would not recover and Meatball Molly would win via TKO. It was probably the most electric finish of the night up until Patty the Batty came into the octagon to face Jordan Levitt. But before that, it was Nikita Krylov against Alexander Gustafson. And Krylov ended up winning this fight via TKO just over a minute into the fight. And it's just, my brother texted me during it. He said, it's it's really sad to see Gustafson's fall from grace. And I said, you know what, it's true. And, and in MMA, it's probably quicker than in any other sport because it's so physical and once you've once you've been taking a lot of punches to the head after a while i mean what else do you expect right that you're just you're just not as sharp as you used to be so uh krylov ends up getting the win there and by the way at this point in my parlay i was 2 for 4 two through the in in only two of the fights it happened so then you move on to what most people thought was the main event of the evening, Patty the Batty Pimblet against Jordan Levitt. That was not the main event of the evening. The main event was Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall. But everybody was there to see Patty. The fight was in London. He fights out of London. Right? It was basically a, a homecoming for him. And, and Patty is relatively new to the UFC. And so in the first round, Jordan Levitt actually did a pretty good job, similar to what Hannah Goldie's approach was against Molly McCann, I think, Meatball Molly, keeping her pressed up against the cage, trying not to let him get too much distance to, to set up the striking. Patty can get in there with with a, a furious flurry of his own, but Patty's really good when it comes to submissions. He's, he's finished a vast majority of his fights either by KO, TKO, or via submission. And so... About two minutes, 46 seconds into the second round, Patty got Jordan's back, and he trapped, I think it was his right arm, underneath his leg, and ends up sinking in a rear naked choke, and and the place went absolutely nuts, and Patty won to move his record to 19-3. and He gets another submission victory, but a lot of people, and, and this is great, because after the fight, he and Meatball Molly gave great speeches after the fight, but Patty's in particular because Patty's there was a lot of heartache in his. Patty spoke that earlier last week. I think actually it was late last week. He had a friend that passed away because of suicide, committed suicide. And so Patty's impassioned speech was basically pleading for any men out there, right? Because there's a stigma around men mental illness, and them being able to talk about their feelings, for lack of a better term, and being able to talk about when they're depressed and when they're upset and when things are going wrong. It's a disease. It's not called being soft. It's a disease. There's something going on in your brain, and you need help. So Patty's plea was for any men experiencing that just to talk to somebody, anybody. It can be anyone. And he said, I'd rather... My friend cry on my shoulder. I'm paraphrasing here because obviously Patty's got a, an unmistakable accent and charisma about him too. But he, he basically said, I'd rather my friend cry on my shoulder than attend his funeral. And that's powerful. And I think that's a great message. So Patty got the win. Meatball Molly got the win. That was great. There was one final fight between 
or before the main event, Jack Hermanson versus Chris Curtis. And Hermanson actually got that win via unanimous decision. But it was the main event that kind of left a sour taste in everybody's mouth because Curtis Blades, Tom Aspinall, you saw a couple of different fight boosts on FanDuel. I'm sure there were some on DraftKings yesterday. There, there always are when the UFC, even if it's just a fight night, it's not a pay-per-view, you've got a big main event. And so Curtis Razor Blades versus Tom Aspinall, this fight ended 15 seconds in. Aspinall blew his knee out 15 seconds into the fight. After Patty won, it was the last fight that I personally needed to complete my four-fight parlay. But it happened on a leg kick. Aspinall stepped back after he tried to kick blades on his left side, and he goes down clutching his knee. He's in a ton of pain, and the arena went absolutely silent. And Michael Bisping, one of the analysts, was talking about how it's you know just a part of the sport, and he's right. It's just a part of a lot of sports. I mean, we it seems like we're seeing more guys blow their knees out in the in the NFL too, non contact injuries, right? When you play a, a a sport, obviously that's so physical, but one where there's obviously a lot of change of direction. And in MMA, you're obviously talking about being pulled in a bunch of different directions with your limbs and stuff. So it officially gets ruled a victory for Blades via TKO, which I always thought is is a really tough way. Of course, it's a tough way to lose a fight. It's a tough way to win a fight too. Blades obviously wasn't happy despite the fact that he get that he gets the win. But so this was the second straight weekend where the main event in the UFC had to end early because of an injury. Last week, you had Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez. That was the main event in Long Island. And it also ended when Ortega dislocated his shoulder. And not to mention, there was this one doesn't have to do with injuries, but about a month or so ago, had another four-fight parlay going, three fights down, check, check, check. Everything looked good. And then the fourth fight, the main event, it's actually great. It's back and forth, really close. Doesn't You never know who's going to win. So the, the fight went to the judges' scorecards, and it ends up being an incredibly controversial split decision against what the general consensus thought would be the winner of the fight. And that just so happened to be who I picked to try and finish off that parlay. So that's two parlays that I was one leg away from in the UFC each of the the last couple of events and just barely missed out on them because of some bad luck. It stinks. It's tough. But obviously, feel for Tom Aspinall. Hope that he gets back into the UFC soon. Hopefully he recovers from that injury because that's absolutely brutal. But man, UFC has got to be one of the toughest things to bet on. Certainly, uh, Regular season NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL is tough. I actually have had the most success, I think, in the NFL and college football in March Madness. That's where my wheelhouse has been. But, hey, there's hot streaks, there's cold streaks. And I guess right now, I'm just on a cold streak. All right, let's get out of here. Coming up next, RJ Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. Stick around. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. More Nationals baseball is coming your way at about 3.40 p.m., this afternoon. Well, that's when Nats on deck starts with Charlie Slows and Dave Chagler. First pitch between the Washington Nationals and the Arizona Diamondbacks is coming up at 4:10. Again, 3:40 is when Nats on deck comes your way and that is the time we will take you up until. Right now, we're going over to the phones as we welcome in our lone guest today. Let's give a warm welcome to RJ Anderson of CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. You can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. RJ, thanks so much for the time this weekend, man. How's everything going? Uh, Everything's going well here. How about on your end? Going well. You know, there's just obviously a lot of talk about uh, some no-name superstar around these parts of Washington, D.C. Hey, before we get into that, too, the the All-Star break can't be much of an actual break for you, is it? I imagine you stayed quite busy during that time. Yeah, I'm not on draft. That's for, you know, I got my license and everything. So basically the the final two weeks of July and the first week of August are just nonstop work for me. Yep, I, I can only imagine, and, and obviously that trade deadline's coming up on August 2nd. So my first question for you, partner, is what is the latest with Juan Soto? We've got several teams that are said to have put in a word for Soto. Dane Perry from CBS notes that the Yankees were a team that have done so pretty recently. So what are some of the teams that you're hearing about? What's the latest? Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of 
you basically can't have a situation like this without the Yankees and the Dodgers checking in, and I would say the Cardinals and probably the Padres and Giants in that mix as well, where, you know, if a superstar becomes available, they're going to play some phone call, and I'm sure that's true of teams I haven't listed just because not often that you get a chance to acquire a 23-year-old who is on a Hall of Fame track and who would be under team control for three playoff runs. So it's going to be very popular. The Nationals are going to have no problem, uh, you know, taking phone calls and placing phone calls and having them actually connect. So it's just a matter of do they get a package that fits their liking and that gives them the courage, I guess I would say, to actually make a trade between now and August 2nd. Yeah, and that that courage, the package that comes back to the Nationals in return for Juan Soto, those are all things that are very up in the air, and I'm wondering how likely that this could actually happen before August 2nd. RJ, I've been talking about in my last two shows how I think that the learners are actually more likely to stand pat, not trade him before this deadline, and potentially let the new ownership group deal with trying to re-sign him if the team gets sold around November, which is what what we're kind of hearing is the plan for them to do later this year. But uh, So the question yeah, is, how, how likely does it happen before August 2nd, and what could a return haul look like? Yeah, I mean, that's the question everyone's asking in the league, too. How likely is this to happen? You know, my first instinct was not likely at all because it's going to be a precedent-setting deal, and those don't come together quickly very often. But the ownership aspect actually makes me wonder if it's more likely because, you know, from your perspective or my perspective, if we were buying this team, we would want Juan Soto in place. You know, he is the best player on the team. He, you know, he puts butts in the seats, right? He sells merchandise. He does all those things. But if you're an owner, do you really want to take over what's likely to be a bad publicity situation, trading, you know, the franchise cornerstone? Or, alternatively, do you want a situation where you may have to hand over, you know, $440 plus million to a single player, knowing that, you know, in most cases, these owners are either extremely, extremely rich, like the Mets situation with Steve Cohen, or they're rich, but they're leveraged up to their eyeballs in debt in order to buy these teams. And, you know, do you really want an additional half a billion on the books because of one player? Probably not. So I think the ownership angle may actually push this, you know, forward. You know, the learners might do it as a favor to the next owner. Like, hey, you know, we'll make sure you don't come in and uh, get off on the wrong foot with the fan base immediately by trading away soda. We'll take that fall for you. That's great and unique perspective. We're talking with R.J. Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. You can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. The other factor here in this Juan Soto deal, R.J., is Patrick Corbin. And if the Nats do ultimately decide to move Soto, it's probably going to include Corbin because I would think from the Nats' standpoint, getting Corbin out of town and getting that contract out of town is also almost equally as important as getting a fair return for Soto. So I'm wondering... How much is taking on Corbin's contract in addition to Soto's slowing things down, if at all? Yeah, and the expectation around the league with the front offices I've talked to is that the Nationals are going to ask whoever acquires Soto, if they acquire Soto before the deadline, to take on Corbin's deal. And I think it serves two purposes. Number one, I just referenced how the incoming ownership probably wants the books cleared as much as possible. Well, there's 60 or so million uh, just in future commitments, you know. Uh, additionally, number two, you know, taking on Corbin's contract kind of helps to balance the scales a little bit because I think on a talent basis, it's going to be very hard to get an equal return for a player of Soto's magnitude. You know, again, he's a 23-year-old. He's on a Hall of Fame track. You have him for three playoff runs. It is basically an unprecedented situation. You look at Mookie Betts. You look at uh, Francisco Lindor. Both of those trades involved a veteran starting pitcher signed for a decent coin going with them to their new city. And I think it would make sense for this trade to follow suit. I think it almost has to in order for the Nationals to reach closer to market value for Soto because otherwise, again, it is going to be very hard to find a team who has that much young talent and who is also willing to part with that much young talent without making themselves worse in order to get Soto. 
can definitely understand why the Nationals are asking for a King's ransom in return. They're asking for a lot. RJ, a couple of other guys that the Nats could move coming up on the trade deadline August 2nd are Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz, and perhaps even Victor Robles if there's a team out there that feels like they could use his defense. Do you have any thoughts on where these guys might end up? Yeah, I think Bell's going to be really popular. You know, I know there are rumors out there about the Astros checking in on him and some of these other clubs. I mean, look, he's having a good season. He's an offending free agent. You know, it's not hard to figure out why you would appeal the team. But Cruz is more interesting to me because you know, he's so old and he's so limited defensively. But at the same time, his ball-tracking metrics are much stronger than his you know, overall uh, batting line indicates. And I think that he might be an interesting, not by-low candidate, but maybe a guy who you trade for with an eye on him improving his performance the rest of the way, which is, again, uh, very unusual for, you know, what is he, 42? Uh, usually don't talk about that for a 42-year-old. So, uh, and then with um, Robles, I think he's also very interesting because he's having his best offensive season in years. Right. It's still not very good, mind you. You know, he's still a bottom of the order hitter. But if you do believe in his defensive value, then yeah, you know, there's not many other good center fielders available this deadline. You, know, you might be talking about someone like Jake Marisnik as the alternative, and I could certainly see him appealing to teams, even if they view him as a non-tender candidate this offseason. Well, bringing him in for the stretch run, see if he can make some tweaks, unlock a little bit more of that offensive potential we thought he had back in 2019, and who knows, maybe he becomes a multi-year fit. But yeah, I think all those guys will draw interest from around the league, and I'm kind of curious to see where they end up if they do get moved. I've got two more questions for you here, RJ, and one more specifically on the Washington Nationals. Elijah Green selected in the first round of the MLB draft last week at an IMG Academy. He and his folks are going to be coming to Nats Park soon to watch a game, enjoy the city. What can you tell us about the Nats' new prospect, Elijah Green? Yeah, he might be the most boomer bust player in the entire draft. I mean, we're talking about elite physical tools. You know, he can run, he can throw, light power, power. I mean, if it all clicks, we're talking about not just the best player in this draft class or you know, not just an all-star, but a potential MVP candidate. Now, the unfortunate side is there is a lot of potential for him to bust because he has a lot of swing and miss issues. And when I watched tape of him back in the spring, I saw him not take a stride with two strikes because he was trying to address the amount of swing and miss and the amount of strikeouts in his game. And the scouts I've talked to, they all agree, you know, in terms of physical tools, in terms of the stuff you can't teach, he is up there with basically any prospect they've seen. Unfortunately, they all do have concerns about the hit tool, about his ability to make consistent contact, and that gives him a lower floor than you would anticipate for someone drafting his spot. But you get why the Nationals did it, because if it does click, they got themselves a heck of a player. Yep, it's a it's definitely a gamble, but you can understand why when you're talking about the absolute elite physical tools that Green has. RJ, my last question for you, again, around the trade deadline is simply, are there any other splashy trades that might be brewing right now that we should keep our eyes on across the league? I've seen that Shohei Otani might be getting a little bit of interest on the trade market, but it doesn't sound like the Angels are necessarily willing to move on him. So is there any other eye-catching trades that you see that might happen in the next week or so? Yeah, I think Otani's going to be an off-season conversation, but just in terms of guys who realistically can move this deadline, I think it's Frankie Montas and Luis Castillo and William, excuse me, Wilson Contreras. And then, you know, my dark horse would be Sean Murphy, the catcher for the Oakland Athletics. He is really, really good behind the plate. He's got multiple years of team control remaining, and he's showing that he has some untapped raw strength that if you're acquiring him, you might actually get more than the league average production he's put up the last few years. RJ, your insight is absolutely incredible, and we needed it today. Thanks so much for carving out a little bit of time for us on a Sunday, partner. I will let you go. We will do it again very soon. All right, time for you, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. There he goes. That's RJ Anderson, CBSSports.com's Major League Baseball coverage. One more time, you can find him on Twitter at R underscore J underscore Anderson. I've had the pleasure of doing segments with RJ pretty much all seven years I've been doing radio. So that's that's pretty cool right there. And a lot of really good stuff. You heard him talking about with not just the Soto situation, but all the other trades brewing around the Major League Baseball trade deadline. I imagine that there's going to be a good bit of movement here over the next nine days before we hit that August 2nd trade deadline. All right, I'm over a break. Let's get out of here. Let's finish up the one o'clock hour coming up next. DC Sports Hall of Fame class announced for the 2022 year. We'll talk about it next. You're listening to 106.7 The Fan. <sighs> 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. You know who's a funny dude on Twitter? Former Redskins linebacker Will Compton. <laughs> he just tweeted out a video of a play. I believe it was from the 2015-2016 season. Obviously, this was when they were still called the Redskins, and it was a play. Redskins were playing the Green Bay Packers. Redskins up 35-24. Jared Cook caught a pass out on the right side, and then Josh Norman actually knocks the ball free, and it gets recovered by Will Compton. And so Compton tweeted out that video and said, quote, I don't want to bring it up, but Aaron Rodgers hasn't won a Super Bowl or a conference championship since this play. It was always a chess match between us every time we played. I'm sure he'd say the same thing. Man, I miss this rivalry, Aaron Rodgers, and then he tagged a Rodge. <laughs> I, I I love Compton. He's got a great sense of humor. He I, I'm not a I'm not a Barstool guy. Like I I don't have a super hardened opinion one way or another. I listen to some of their stuff. Don't care about others. Just doesn't really move the needle a whole lot for me. But he hosts a show called Bustin' with the Boys with Taylor Lewan, uh, the Tennessee Titans offensive lineman. So he's still trying to make an NFL roster out there somewhere, but. Uh, I mentioned the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame 2022 class. It was announced last week. We got a handful of names, obviously, uh, and among them is uh, Washington Nationals owner Mark Lerner. You also had basketball great Len Elmore, Mark Two Sharp Johnson, Alan Webb, Christy Winter-Scott, right? Several 2022 inductees for the uh, Washington, D.C. Sports Hall of Fame. By the way, there's actually going to be a pregame ceremony a week from today, July 31st, 12:30, before the Nats game against the Cardinals. And I don't bring this up because I just realized that I'm actually going to be at that game next Sunday. My girlfriend and I are actually headed to Maryland Saturday night. We're going to go see Fish in concert, and then the next day we're coming back through D.C. and we're going to go to the Nats game. So it's going to be a great weekend. We're going to have a blast. We're going to have lots of fun. But so now I know that there's a pregame ceremony honoring Mark Lerner, who's going into the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame for the 2022 class. Now, what this made me think of, and I think any 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 of us that have been going to the Nats game since they played at RFK, right? We all remember the D.C. Sports Hall of Fame banners that were hanging out in right field, I think, at RFK. And then at one point they were listed somewhere out in left center at Nats Park, and now I don't know exactly where they're listed. I, I just can't remember. But it got me thinking that the Lerner family is probably at least a little bit, right? I don't know what's going through these people's mind. I'm not a one percenter. I don't 
have that much money. I couldn't even dream of having that much money. So I don't understand how the brain of someone like this works. But, but, wouldn't you have to be thinking about your legacy after you get inducted into the Washington, D.C. Sports Hall of Fame? We have to be careful with the narrative because the Lerner family is not necessarily responsible for bringing baseball back to D.C. They are the owners of the D.C. baseball team who returned about 17 years ago, but there's a lot behind the scenes that we would really need to do a deep dive on. It's not all thanks to the learners. But I think it plays into why they haven't traded Juan Soto yet, and they may not before this August 2nd deadline. We just talked about it with R.J. Anderson from CBS MLB coverage. He thinks that, in a way, this could affect it the opposite way as well. But my belief here is that the learners are standing pat. They're going to let the next ownership group deal with trying to retain Juan Soto. I think, for them, that's the safest thing to do. The safest thing for their legacy. And if you're talking about financials, right? Learner Enterprises is certainly not doing as well as it was before the pandemic, right? Commercial real estate is where they've really made their hay. And that business is just not doing very well since the pandemic started. It doesn't really factor into giving a player half a billion dollars when you're just going to give all of the assets up that you would have acquired as being the owner of the Nationals, right? So unless you're going to re-sign him, your legacy is only going to be hurt if you trade him, right? I think they know that. Now, how much they care? I don't know. Maybe they don't care at all. But I'm thinking that there's at least an inkling in there. They have to have the knowledge that you let Bryce Harper walk, you let Anthony Rendon walk, you traded Turner, you traded Scherzer. There's been a ton of Hall of Fame talent that's come through your building. And there's not a lot of teams that can say that the amount of hall uh, the the they've had the same amount of hall of fame talent come through their building in the last 10 years. There's not very many teams that can say that. And the Nationals do have a World Series to show for it. So in that regard maybe the learners feel like they could do no wrong. They brought a World Series something that this city hadn't seen in 100 years. That's true. That's big. But if you're talking about wanting to continue a positive legacy, trading Juan Soto is not going to contribute to that in a positive way at all we don't know what's going through their mind of course I, I keep reiterating that because i'm speculating i'm being very clear about that but i think there's a human element to it where you have to be thinking about how you're going to be viewed by this fan base after you walk out i mean if you trade soto people are probably going to mostly forget about that world series seriously it, it didn't even happen that long ago it was three years coming up this October, but it seems like it was a lot longer ago with how quickly things have changed and how quickly they've gone into the toilet. And as we reminded people when we were on the air on Friday, there was a very thin line between this team becoming sellers at the trade deadline last year in 2021 and them still being buyers and being in contention. You could argue they were a Kyle Schwarber injury away from at least being relevant enough to not trade all of their assets away. You could make that case. So I, I think that in the back of their mind, and we'll come back to this at some point later on in the show, the Lerner family must be thinking about that legacy of theirs and trading Juan Soto is not going to help it. And so I think that the safest thing for them to do in their mind is to not do anything. And if the baseball guys like Grant Paulson was talking about in one of his reports from early last week, if the baseball guys in the Nats front office like Mike Rizzo want to trade Soto now, they're going to get overruled by the learners because they have to sign off on that deal. I think that wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing, but it is a gamble to some degree because even though Juan Soto's contractual value is certainly not going to go down over the next couple of years, whether you trade him before this August 2nd trade deadline or not. He's not going to start asking for less money, right? I understand that having him for two postseason runs instead of three is what ultimately forces teams to give up less than they would have if you trade him before this August 2nd trade deadline.
again, I'm I'm digging my toe. I'm digging my my heels in though. I don't think it's happening before August second this year. I'm not going to say that it won't happen this year after the season in the off season, but I I, I the more that comes out about this, the the harder it is for me to see it happening before August second because I think that everything has to be perfect, right? The team that takes him on has to also take Corbin's contract on. And then the Nationals have to, in in this case, it would be Rizzo and the learner's eyes, get back fair value, which would be a litany of prospects in addition to maybe someone that can be out there and, and start for you every day now, potentially an all-star, depending on which team you trade him to. The Dodgers and the Rays seem to be able to offer the best packages. Maybe the Yankees as well. It's going to be tough to see Soto in another uniform if that ends up happening. But again, I'm standing by my statement. I don't think it does happen before August 2nd. I don't necessarily think Soto's a gnat for life, but I don't think that he's going to get dealt before this trade deadline. All right, that's it. Hour number two in the 2 o'clock hour coming up next. We've got lots of NFL to talk in hour two. We've talked plenty of baseball. Time to go to the pigskin. Training camp is just a couple of days away. We'll talk about it next on 106.7 The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.